I'm Alex Marlowe, Editor-in-Chief of Breitbart News, and this is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. On today's show, we begin with an epic rant on the retirement of Dr. Fauci, which is set to begin early, thank God. It's a full-blown celebration on the show, and we go through many, but certainly not all, of his worst moments. We also have a pretty scary woke update today. We get into some immigration news and then a throwdown on the media for celebrating a Catholic priest who, advertently or not, protected sex predators. Because why else? He was woke. Our guest today is Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton. At first, I ask him if he thinks the FBI will ever release information indicating that they didn't actually get the goods in the bad orange man this time with the Mar-a-Lago raid. And then we get into my deepest conversation yet about the genius move by Texas to bus illegal aliens throughout the country. We discuss then some horrifying fentanyl data and then wrap up with a brief discussion of Texas bringing back In God We Trust to the classroom. Good stuff. Let's get into it. some big stuff to start off which is dr doom himself dr fauci is gone he's going to leave his post as the most well-paid i think he's the highest paid of all of the public health officials um and he will uh, be leaving his post at the national institute of allergy and infectious diseases where he is the chief of the niaid laboratory of immunoregulation and the chief medical advisor to president big joey biden and uh, he'll be taken off and it's interesting that he's doing so because you are not mistaken you are not crazy you did hear of course that dr fauci had said just a mere month or two ago that he does not intend to step down for another two years and a lot of people were very excited when fauci recently said he was going to step down from his post in two years thinking, great, he's retiring. But people focused on the stepping down part, the retirement part, they did not focus on the he was going to torture us for two more years. Actually, not just figuratively speaking, sometimes literally speaking, he was going to torture us for the next um, couple of years. And uh, his, apparently his mind has changed now and he will be only in the government um, where he has been for decades and decades and decades for uh, I think 40 odd years, something like that. At the end of this year, this will be the end. So he is winding it down. And I'm wondering what's happening at the end of this year in particular, why this spry and youthful 81 year old decides that now versus two years from now would be the time to shut it all down. And I think uh, we all know the answer to that. The Republicans are gonna take the Congress and they are going to investigate his pants off. That will be the plan. Um, he has, among other things, he has uh, lied to the public about mass and he has lied to the public about gain of function research. Now, I'm curious what he really thinks about the vaccines because the vaccines were, I think the science on that was, uh, it, it was it was pretty tough to see and highly, uh, it was evolving from variant to variant from the beginning of Operation Warp Speed to where we are now. So I don't know if he was lying, though I don't think he was very helpful 
about uh, educating the public on the vaccines. But we do know that he basically knew right away, if not fairly early on, that the paper masks and the cloth face diapers were not going to stop a virus. Uh, as, for example, uh, Congressman Greg, Greg Murphy, who's on the broadcast yesterday, was also our podcast guest, as of you who subscribe to the podcast, who is a practicing medical doctor, uh, who said, I think it was in May of 2020 of this show, that there is, given the size of the coronavirus, uh, there is, there's absolutely no chance that these masks, unless you're using an N95, uh, are going to stop this virus. The virus is going to pass right through it. And if you look at the absurd way the masks are pinched and there's all these gaps on the side and uh, people don't know how to wear them properly and keep them sterile, and uh, we don't really know how long exposure is anyway when you're really going to be susceptible to coronavirus, um, it's the unless you have a heavy duty mask on it's it's not doing any good and all the science backed that up and then what few studies we got about masks because hey why would you look into something like that uh, when you could just torture three-year-olds at preschool and on the airplanes with their cloth masks uh it, it, his mind never changed he never wavered and he spent years telling us to mask up even our children when he knew the virus was not going to get stopped by it which i regard as uh, strike number one against the young man so he knew that the mask didn't work and he still has kept us masked. And in fact, there's even consideration. I think some places still have some mask rules right now. And uh, again, as I've mentioned, that I have moved into a more right of center suburb near a major metropolitan area and said metropolitan area when I go in there because it is better to eat there. The food is better. The uh, blue city is still a better place to eat. Um, when I feel like eating or shopping and I go in, you still see people, even young, healthy people, wearing the mask, sometimes even the cloth mask, and this is the guy uh, who did this to us. And, and all of us, because we're all suckers, we're all gullible. You know, we support a president who, I mean, not in this audience, but who literally called something the Inflation Reduction Act that doesn't reduce inflation, and we thought that was okay. It wasn't a massive scandal that that happened. It just happens in America. We have that low standards at this point. Anyway, I digress, but I'm frustrated sometimes. Um, that's number one. Number two is he denied the lab leak theory was even a possibility. He strongly discouraged people from looking into the whether or not the virus originated from the laboratory in Wuhan, China. Now, you know my somewhat contrarian take. I don't see it as significantly worse if the virus uh, originated in a wet market where they are selling turtles and pangolins and they are using them for um, uh, sort of bogus fake medicine and they're torturing the animals in the process and then they're putting them in a soup with the bat and they're undercooking the soup so the meat is not cooked well enough. And then they're having these, uh, they literally were trying to set records, world records for feasts in Wuhan. I tried to have some of the biggest feasts like in the history of the world, that was part of the plan. You know, where they would eat some of this stuff. And then it was so unsanitary and it sounds so disgusting. Of course, we barely have any access to it because there's no free press in China. Another thing that we don't seem to care about. But uh, again, I don't see this significantly worse if it was done in a lab relative to that uh, the inhumane situation at the wet market. But the fact of the matter is, is he wouldn't even let us look into it. And part of it we learned is that our own government headed by Fauci was funding money, was sending money over there to the lab to investigate something called gain of function research, which is where you are enhancing animal viruses and you, so that they are more transmissible to human beings. 
and we were funding that research and he was lying about it. So those are two massive lies that need to be investigated. Um, of the many, 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 many possible audio clips of Fauci over the years of him lying through his teeth, of him doing press interviews where he enjoyed doing what had to have been thousands of at least hundreds of interviews, getting attention, getting treated as if he was a saint. Uh, I, I did request that we play one because I feel like this might be the most important and it's a little long, so I don't know if I'm interrupted, but this is Rian Paul grilling Dr. Fauci in uh, July of 2021 about the gain of function research. This is a classic. Cut nine, please, Zach, go. Dr. Fauci, knowing that it is a crime to lie to Congress, do you wish to retract your statement of May 11th where you claimed that the NIH never funded gain of function research in Wuhan? Senator Paul, I have never lied before the Congress, and I do not retract that statement. This paper that you are referring to was judged by qualified staff up and down the chain as not being gain of function. So what was, let me take, finish. You take an animal virus and you increase its transmissibility to humans, right. you're saying that's not gain of function? Yeah, that is correct. And, and Senator Paul, you do not know what you are talking about, quite frankly. And I want to say that officially. You do not know what you are talking about. Let's okay, you get NIH. one person. Let's read from the NIH definition of gain of function. This is your definition that you guys wrote. It says that scientific research that increases the transmissibility among mammals is gain of function. They took animal viruses that only occur in animals and they increase their transmissibility to humans. How you can say that is not gain of function, Whoops. it is not. It's a dance and you're dancing around this because you're trying to obscure responsibility for Period. 4 million uh, people dying around the world. It's a, make sure, keep my mic up, please, Zach. The, uh, the, um, but you guys got it. I mean, that's, that's stone cold dead to rights right there. Well, we'll let it play out a little bit more. But he's reading his own definition of gain of function research. That's what they were doing at the lab that we were funding. And he's just saying that, no, that was not a lie. And no, I have never lied to the Congress. I mean, that's what's known as a stone cold bust. There is a, that is, you can't get a cleaner bus than that. That's as clean as they get. Reading his own definition of gain of function back to him. Continue. Pandemic. And let's, let's send Dr. Fauci. I have to, well, now you're getting into something. If the point that you are making is that the, the, the grant that was funded as a sub-award from EcoHealth to Wuhan created SARS-CoV-2, that's where you are getting let me finish. We don't know. Well, we don't wait know a minute. It didn't I come can, from the lab, but all you, the evidence is pointing that it came from the lab, you, and there will be responsibility for those who funded the right. lab, including yourself. I totally This committee resent, will allow the witness to respond. I totally resent the lie that you are now propagating, Senator, because if you look at the viruses that were used in the experiments that were given in the annual reports that were published in the literature, it is molecularly impossible. No one's saying those it, viruses it is, caused it. It no is, one is molecularly. That those virus caused the pandemic. What we're alleging is that gain of function research was going on in that lab 
and NIH funded it. That is not. Get away from it. It meets your definition, and you are obfuscating the truth. He got him. He got him so bad. And Fauci, because he doesn't pay attention to conservative media, he doesn't pay attention to uh, people like Rand Paul. And if you listen to shows like this, where Dr. Paul's on a few times a year, and you know he does not speak hyperbolically, Um, he does not exaggerate. He's telling exactly like it is. Dr. Paul is not saying that we created this specific pandemic virus. He is also not stating even that China is using our money to create some sort of a super virus or a bioweapon. Though he's not taking those options off the table, he's certainly not saying we know, but he is saying that there is an extreme lack of curiosity from a guy who was responsible for funneling money to a lab that was doing this research that they weren't supposed to be doing. And then lo and behold, we get the pandemic from either that lab or from down the block at a crazy wet market, which shouldn't have been happening anyway. It is, and Fauci's trying to act like Paul's making a political point. Paul's making a scientific point, purely scientific. And the same way Congressman Murphy was making a scientific point on the show in May of 2020 when he said there's no way this mask is going to stop these viruses. And two years later, you still see people wearing them. And what did Fauci do? Showed up at the baseball game, sitting there at the Nationals game. If you guys recall this, one of the most iconic photos in American history. The entire country was shut down, completely empty ballpark, three people in the stadium. Three of them, uh, all of them have masks. Of the three, Dr. Fauci's is under his chin. He's got a cloth mask under his chin. He gets a whole baseball stadium to himself. The narcissism is beyond belief. And I'll tell you this, coming into the pandemic, um, those of you who are longtime listeners of the show know this, so forgive me for making this point that I've made many times, but uh, in, for, for new listeners, one of the most prominent textbooks that uh, Mrs. Dr. Marlowe learns off of from her medical school is uh, written by Dr. Fauci. So it, his name has been a textbook that's been in my bedroom for, you know, I guess it's going on seven, eight years now. So we didn't come into this thing thinking that this guy was the worstest guy ever. Though, if you do go back and look at his record on AIDS, that you, this, some people might have said you could have seen this coming. He had also dismissed the ideas of herd immunity, which was, uh, of course, going to be a factor in this. Like another one of those things, the country, we sometimes get hooked on these things where you're not allowed to say obvious truths because the media really doesn't want you to. We just came through this and Breitbart was at the center of it where we were told we couldn't publish public documents on the FBI raid of Mar-a-Lago because um, there were a couple of crazy people who might interpret them wrong and and, uh, you know, get angry at, um, you know, people who were writing out the the reports for the FBI. Even though they're public documents and they're government officials like we were supposed to like not publish them or something because we needed to be mind readers of every lunatic in the country. And just the whole world acted like it was outrageous. We, we did that when it was automatic that we would do it. Um, and we do this all the time. We did this with the word invasion. Remember how we couldn't call what's happening in our southern border an invasion? And we had years of this. News cycles. Oh, man, Breitbart said it was an invasion. And then now all of a sudden everyone's calling an invasion now and it's fine. I mean, it's always been an invasion. We just decided two two weeks ago or whatever, we're allowed to say invasion now. So uh, this was the same thing with herd immunity. We weren't allowed to talk about it. We weren't allowed to talk about that. Maybe there was a pretty good chance everyone was going to get this virus at some point or another. 
And we were going to eventually have to get to the phase where it's endemic, not a pandemic. And then uh, we'll, we'll need to adjust accordingly. That the we could never really trace it back to patient, patient zero. Our containment methods were not great. Fauci, by the way, um, also, I think, lied about saying that lockdowns, about his lockdown stance. I think his lockdown stance vacillated as well. Where, of course, he pushed lockdowns, and then he later on said that, you know, lockdowns were never going to be the answer. There was barely a major issue he didn't flip-flop on, which would have been fine if he had worded things in different ways than he did. He would always take these approaches where he would try to, where he would condescend to the public and he would tell us something was factual when he knew it wasn't true because he thought that would persuade us. But what he didn't realize is Americans uh, have this little thing called freedom, free will. We're into that stuff. That matters to us. That counts. Free will does. So when you're a public bureaucrat who's the highest paid person in our government and might not have a sterling record, then maybe the best move is to just to come clean with us and tell us, here's what we think is happening. Here are our best recommendations. And we think you should act accordingly. Instead, he says flat out, this is what you do. This is how you do it. And if you go against us, then you're actually a bad person, which was the implication for the last couple of years. So I would say sayonara, but I've got a feeling we're going to be seeing a lot more Dr. Fauci. Um, we put up a lot of highlights, again, all lowlights of Fauci's career on the front page of Breitbart. I won't go through all of them, but you know, I was reminded um, by PETA, who uh, sends Breitbart a lot of stuff exclusive. It's a, I, I guess they like the attention, but they're always, they've always, PETA's always been very good about working with us, people for the ethical treatment of animals. Um, but they had put out a mosaic of tiny photographs of monkeys and beagles that the NIAID had tortured and killed in cruel experiments. Their words. Remember those brutal beagle experiments that we learned about? And it wasn't just, a, it wasn't beagles only. Um, he is at $10 million, at least in a financial portfolio, longtime government official. Hey, we made all that textbook money. So of course, a lot of these schools buy, which are subsidized by the government. Isn't that tricky? So we get the highest paid government official, write some textbooks in the free time. Um, the government gives tons of grants to universities, federal loans. So you could attend medical school. And then the schools all buy his textbook for $70 a piece. Maybe it's 100 now. So, of course, he has a, a, a eight-figure net worth, which uh, he'd not come clean about. Uh, we could do this all day. We could do it all day, all the greatest hits. One of the uh, true villains in my lifetime in public life. Uh, easily on one hand, one of the, one of the villains of, uh, uh, of uh, our time. And to think of how much investigation goes into Donald Trump, a guy who's been a representative of the people. Like him or like him or lump him. And a lot of you uh, these days are more in the lump him camp. I get it. A lot of you are more in the like him camp. But a guy who's represented the people and the citizenry versus this guy who represents the worst of the bureaucratic class, the worst of the Washington establishment and has yet to face any meaningful investigations, that will change. Rand Paul's promised it. Kevin McCarthy's promised it. 
So uh, I'm looking forward to it. Should not be a pleasant retirement for this guy. Should be investigated for years on end. Um, speaking of Trump, by the way, the Wall Street Journal, to their credit, has a pretty big opinion piece by a couple of attorneys, constitutional law attorneys, who had served in the Justice Department in the White House Counsel's Office for Reagan and George H.W. Bush, arguing flat out that Trump had the 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 warrant to uh, raid Trump had zero legal basis whatsoever. And that the president's rights under the Presidential Records Act actually works in his favor. Now, this goes a bit beyond my, um, as a non-lawyer, my ability to weigh in on if this is a solid legal argument, but the Wall Street Journal opinion page, typically not in the business of putting up bogus arguments on stuff like this. So uh, how, how juicy would that be? Trump could sue the government for them violating Presidential Records Act, potentially. Very curious how that plays out. And again, they've got to deliver the goods and they have not done that. They've, they're not even close. All right. Um, let's, there's so many other headlines I want to get to. I will try to be brief, but I want to cover a couple other things. Uh, the biggest thing going right now for us over at Breitbart, other than Fauci stuff, is the poster release of the feature film for My Son Hunter. If you've not been to Breitbart.com, please go today and check it out. Uh, the, the theme of the poster is as if Hunter Biden's laptop exploded. Um, it's super cool, and you do get a good taste of what you're in for with the movie, MySonHunter.com, if you want to support us. Um, I'm doing such a super cool promotion. Their first promotion we've done today, uh, which I know you're going to want to watch. It's it's video. It'll be available to you, but I, I don't want to tease more than that. I don't want to get in trouble. But we've got some really cool stuff uh, in the works and surrounding the film. And if you go to Brightport.com now, you can check out the cool poster. All right, we're going to get into our woke update right now because I want to do it. And it doesn't have to just be at the end of the opening. UC Berkeley's off-campus housing, uh, at least some of it, has banned white guests from common areas to avoid white violence. Um, Libs of TikTok has led the way in this, as they've been doing so often. But uh, UC Berkeley, my alma mater has an off-campus house called the Person of Color Theme House, which is reportedly being white people from common areas, in order to avoid white violence and presence. Wow, white presence. The alleged house rules, Alana Mastrangelo writes for us at Breitbart, also state the residents must alert other tenants in a group chat whether they intend to bring white guests to the property. Quote, many POC members moved here to be able to avoid white violence and presence. So respect their decision of avoidance if you bring white guests. Wow. Um, is I, I, We're going to have to see this thing where this we've got this. It's not really reverse racism. It's really just, just straight racism against white people. We're going to have to see how long it goes. This is another one that's clearly happening in our society where we're normalizing racism against white people and we're not supposed to talk about it. It's one of the things that is obviously happening and blatantly happening. And there's a, people who are not shy about it. Um, and you can see it against a lot of the discrimination in the workplace that is taking place where we've basically culturally sanctified affirmative action in a lot of different ways. And now you're seeing stuff like this. You're just explicitly saying, okay, now you can't even bring, don't, don't even bring the white people here. I mean, what, what workplaces right now are not doing um, uh, uh, absurd pandering for diversity right now, even though it's not necessarily mandated 
um, by the government the way the affirmative action lobby would have wanted 20 or 30 years ago. But every company's doing it. Of course, they're doing it. And the um, and 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 now you've got stuff like this where they're just being more overt about it. And it's one of these things where um, if we keep having these double standards, it's going to just make us even more divided than ever. But at least we got Joe Biden who's planning a unity summit. I mentioned this briefly on yesterday's show, but I still can't believe it. I'm obsessed with this topic and we're going to be talking about it over and over again that Joe Biden is really planning to host a summit that he's going to refer to as the unity summit. And this is a guy who can't pass any legislation with any Republicans involved, promised he was going to unify the country and villainizes almost all of his political opponents. Just remember this. I've said this before, and I'll say this over and over again. I wrote this about Joe Biden in uh, my book, Breaking the News, um, that people who want unity, want uh, they generally want unity so long as you agree with them on 100% of the issues. 100% of the time, you agree, and then you can have unity. That typically is the rule. Um, all right, so a famed University of Maryland professor created a surveillance machine for communist China. University of Maryland professor Dinesh Manocha, a decorated scholar in AI and robotics. Again, a lot of us, Riangelo writing for us at Breitbart, created machine learning software that's useful for surveillance that can read people's personalities and predict their behavior for a Chinese tech giant, Alibaba, which is one of their biggest companies. Manocha built the software as part of a six-figure research grant from Alibaba, which only exists thanks to the Chinese Communist Party and which wants to classify the personality of each pedestrian and identify other biometric features, according to documents obtained by the Daily Beast. So he got a, a University of Maryland professor, state school, getting American funds, also getting Chinese funds via Alibaba to create surveillance tech so that they can do things like create social credit scores, bigger surveillance state, bigger police state, and no doubt enslave and torture people and jail people for not living up to their social credit score. And I'm sure he was a beloved University of Maryland. Dinesh Minocha seemed a good guy. Must be a great guy. Democrat-run Seattle has had 40 attacks on firefighters. Seattle is one to watch. They are very much in the spirit of those California uh, cities that we talk about so much with people fleeing, violence spiking out of control. And again, are there any places in the country that are run by Republicans where you would see this sort of thing? Um, there is, there's, most of these attacks are by uh, dangerous homeless lunatics. Um, of course, one of the bluest cities in the country. And the apparently one of the problems here is, uh, you know, putting out fires. That's, hey, that's, that's, you, should be, you should be attacked by the citizens for doing that. Daily Mail writes, the firefighters in Seattle have demanded the city take action as they are subjected to more than 40 violent attacks in the past four months, a string of assaults that have been largely carried out by the city's homeless. One such incident, which, transparent, which transpired last month, saw one fire official pelted with a rock while attempting to put out a blaze that originated from an encampment fire. Guessing the encampment is the homeless encampment. Nice. Jersey Shore Christians accused of bullying LGBTQ plus for, and this is not a joke. Is this a joke? Is this really not a joke? I mean, this is from NJ.com. That's reputable. 
I, I can't believe what I'm about to read. The the Jersey Shore Christians accused of bullying LGBTQ plus for building a cross-shaped ocean pier. They have a pier, like a boardwalk, where you can go down and cast fishing line off of it or take a nice selfie. Uh, maybe a bench down there where you can eat a pastrami sandwich if you feel like it. And I say pastrami specifically because it's kind of what I'm in the mood for if I was going for a sandwich right now. People read into that stuff now. Um, but it's in the shape of a cross. It looks entirely practical. The cross shape makes perfect sense. And one of the edges of the cross goes out some kind of cool looking rocks. I'm looking at the photo of it right now. But the cross shaped pier is now offensive to people. Uh, there are people in this country who walk around and they simply look to be offended at every second of every day. Um, I will read probably later on. We have a lot more headlines on the border situation uh, where the Biden's border chief says we're doing very well. Obviously, it's not true. And even though the former ICE chief is saying that the facilities are overwhelmed, social services for Americans are getting overwhelmed because there's so many illegal aliens to deal with. And what happens now, we're seeing this pattern that the trick is when you go, when you get to capacity at some of the facilities they got, they just empty them out. And then all of a sudden there's capacity again. So you release people into the country and say you're on your own, come back for your court hearing, which they never come back for. I hope this comes up during the unity summit. How do we unify on this one? Um, especially when you get some people who get their news from places like MSNBC and PBS in the Washington Post and where you might see the musings of Yamicha Alcindor, who's theoretically a reporter who does show up on MSNBC to give hot takes. Here is one such hot take. Cut eight, please. Yeah, and interestingly, that, that goes hand in hand maybe with 74% of Americans say the country is going in the wrong direction. Nearly 60% of voters say America's best years are behind it. Nearly 60%. Yamiche, why are people so unhappy these days? Jose, it's a great question. And I've been out on the campaign trail. I'm in Alabama just today talk, doing some stories about sort of redistricting and the and the political atmosphere in this state. But what you see really is on the Democratic side, people that are very, very worried about the direction of this country. They're very worried, especially about former President Trump possibly coming back into power or former President Trump or, or another Republican stealing the election in 2022 or 2024 because we've seen so many election deniers be, be elected. So a lot of Democrats on the Democratic side, they're very worried about abortion also and abortion rights. And then on the Republican side, I can tell you that I'm also hearing from people that, especially some that are unfortunately believing conspiracy theories and lies about the election of 2020, they're worried that the country is going in the wrong direction because they're seeing too many people um, say that the election was free and fair, which of course it was. You're also hearing a lot of anxiety based on my reporting about inflation and about gas prices because you have a lot of Republicans running around the state who are around the country also that are really saying this is going to be an economic situation that we're not going to recover from and that President Biden is leading the country off of a cliff here. So on both sides, in both political parties, you're seeing a lot of anxiety 
Add to that, Jose, that we're still living in the middle of a pandemic. More than a million Americans have died. And I think while we are always doing stories about all of the different political implications and political developments, I think a lot of people simply are feeling very scared about their personal lives and scared about yeah, the no, future yeah, no, no, and, no and sort of their ability to survive and thrive in this country. Yeah, well, that's how could how could that be the case? I mean, we saw gas prices are going down. Sure, they're still up 75 percent from when uh, Biden got in there. But I mean, they're heading down. So why shouldn't we all be very happy? I mean, that's what I learned on MSNBC. Um, I let that run because it's important to get a sense of what the left is thinking about and they're, what they're talking about. And the same people who told us the 2016 election was literally stolen by Putin. Vladimir Putin stole the 2016 election, depriving Hillary Clinton as her, from her rightful throne in 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, where she would lead the America into a new golden age. But because the bad orange man uh, was blackmailed by Putin, he was the one that Putin tapped to steal our election. Even though Putin can't win a war against Ukraine very easily, he was able to clandestinely steal the American election and not leave any sort of substantial trace of evidence enough to get it overturned or to get the bad orange man thrown into jail. But still, anyone who's skeptical about the 2020 election is a conspiracy theorist and is, uh, you know, a very bad person, according to this analysis. Um, this is, I think, very crucial to see that this is how the left thinks of you guys. I think you're all conspiracy theorists, and they think that anyone who uh, blames Biden for the bad economy is mistaken. Blames Biden for problems in their personal lives, division in your personal lives. Because he's done so much to unify us all. He really has done a ter- terrific job. Uh, I don't know. M- maybe Yamicha Alcindor should be aware that a lot of the country right now is concerned that our federal government was invading the president's home to steal documents and boxes back from him that they perhaps had no right to get. Perhaps that's how it played out. Maybe not. Maybe there's stuff in those boxes that Trump shouldn't have had. Maybe we'll learn that. But there's also a possibility that those were his boxes and they were legit. And the federal government has no right to come in, just go and take them. And how will that play out if that's what uh, is decided over time? Um, man, what what will it be like if we learn that those boxes were legit and that Trump had, Trump had every right to have them? It might cause some more division in the country right now. It might cause perhaps... Um, more people to think the country is going in the wrong direction, which most of us do. All right, last one I'll bring up, which is somewhat unrelated, but I do feel compelled uh, to address it at the top because I'm seeing some very strange reactions to the death of Archbishop Rembert Weekland, who was a critic of Vatican Orthodoxy, and he died at 95, 95 years old. New York Times a big uh, obituary of him yesterday. Uh, I am a... Catholic and I attend Catholic Church and I'm also highly critical of the Catholic Church but he is someone who was sort of beloved by the left and here is the I want to read you the key passage from the New York Times's obit but for millions of dissenting American Catholics Archbishop Weekland became an inspirational leader speaking out on social and economic justice sex education and the growing AIDS crisis he listened to women who had undergone abortions who'd still regarded themselves as good Catholics 
He called the Wisconsin plan to require welfare recipients to work not morally justifiable and said that ordaining women might lead to some more compassionate church, a more compassionate church. So this is why you're going to see a fair bit of praise for him. But one of the major issues here that you are not going to see dwelt on, and you might hear that a little bit of that he had a male lover for a long time, which he did, and that he had paid him hush monies out of the diocese funds, diocesan funds. You might hear about that. But what you probably won't hear about as much is that in 2009, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel figured out that he had actually uh, shredded reports about sexually abusive priests. And he had shuffled those priests, according to these reports, without telling anyone around. And these priests who were abusive would then would show up at your parish and he wouldn't warn the parishioners that the sexually abusive priests were there. Um, and then he wrote that he didn't know that abuse of minors was a crime at the time he learned of the offensives. That's what he wrote about himself. So just know that when you see this person getting praised today, that this is yet another example of the left trying to anoint a hero out of someone who is not heroic and who aided a culture, which I think is eroding the Catholic Church in a major way, that about uh, the, the abuse of children, normalizing it, excusing it, treating it lightly, which is very bad for the church, bad for the culture, it's bad for everyone. But hey, he was someone who heard women's, plea, women's pleas after they'd undergone abortions and still regarded themselves as good Catholics and spoke out about economic justice, whatever that means. Ken Paxton is the most powerful Republican attorney general in the country, and he certainly makes the most of his time in power. Uh, he is working hard on election integrity, on holding big tech accountable, and he is a part of that uh, small group of Texas officials who have pushed this brilliant move to bus illegal aliens across the country, which has done more than pretty much anything since, certainly since Trump's presidency, but really since Trump's candidacy, I think, to raise awareness about the illegal immigration by simply making some of these woke blue cities deal with what Texas deals with on a regular basis. We talk about that, the Mar-a-Lago raid, and so much more in the interview. Let's get into it with Attorney General Ken Paxton. I got to get your take if you have any thoughts on the FBI raid and what little we know about it. Um, first of all, do you think Joe Biden knew about it? If, if not, I mean, what is worse if he knew about it and blessed a, a raid of his likely political opponent who was a former president or he didn't know about it and just this sort of seems like lawless behavior from our government is taking place without president's knowledge. Uh, it seems like two really bad scenarios. I, I want your thought on that. And uh, I also want your thought on if you feel like we have adequate information about the origins and the motivations for the raid at this point, or did you think we'd, we'd have more information by now? Yeah, uh, I think no matter how you look at it, we've crossed the line we've never crossed in this country. When the FBI and the Department of Justice are not afraid to go after the uh, uh, president of the United States, uh, it's we're we're in new, new territory, and so it was shocking to me. 
it seems like the FBI has become and the Department of Justice have become political, almost organized crime, and they are targeting conservatives. And President, if they, if they go after President Trump, there's no one they won't go after. So it's very, uh, I, think, I think we're in a time in, in U.S. history that maybe we've never seen before, much more like countries that we read about, uh, uh, China or, or Russia, than we are what we would expect in the United States. I think we're certainly getting to that point. But if you say that stuff again, then you get in trouble for saying that stuff. Like this is the whole distraction they they want us to they they, they want to talk about this for too long. And I so I just I do want to get your quick thought though on if you were surprised that we haven't heard more. Um, it feels like we would have learned more at this point about the nature of the raid and what they were going for. And instead, they're just what's dribbling out is there were. Th- 300 classified documents. I don't even know what that means. And the Wall Street Journal postulated this morning, at least a couple of professors uh, or or attorneys who had previously worked in Justice Department that the documents they, they probably got, probably Trump had every right to have. Uh, it, do you think that's a possibility it turns out that way? That Trump had every right to have those documents and that he didn't have documents yes. illegally? Yes, I think that's exactly what's going on. If if there had been something untoward or something that he did inappropriate, we already know about it. They have, they would have already leaked it out. Investigations like this are supposed to be kept confidential until they're completed and some action or no action is taken. In this case, I guarantee if they had something that they would have found, we would already know about it. They would have leaked it to help cover themselves in the media and start uh, tainting uh, President Trump. Yeah, that's what it seems like is going on, and uh, I'm just. Do you have any sense of when you think we're going to get the rest of the information, or is it just one where they're going to string this out as long as humanly possible? They're going to keep looking. They're going to string it out. They'll never tell us that they didn't find anything. They'll keep looking. They'll keep investigating. They'll keep looking for some way to get him. That's the way it works now. It's not. It's more like what happened in, uh, back in the day when Stalin's uh, Secret Service used to tell him, "Show me the man, I'll show you the crime." They're fu- they're looking for a crime. They're they're not they don't know about a crime. They're looking for a crime, and unfortunately, that's the way it works now. Do you think that Americans are going to run out of patience with this, or do you think that the opposite will happen? That they could potentially run out of patience with President Trump, and they'll want to get uh, over the drama. No, you know what? I, I think what I worry about more is fear that this type of activity by our government will cause people to keep their mouth shut, not talk, uh, be afraid that they'll be next. You know, because if you're looking at this and the levels that they're going to now, I mean, who can really stop them? If Congress doesn't rein them in and and the president doesn't rein them in, who does? I mean, who can stop them from doing whatever they want to do? And I think I'm more worried about fear of 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 government law enforcement than I am about you know, them getting tired of President Trump. I think this is going to indicate even more and more that that people uh, will see that this is a, this is not this is not the right way to do things, and that this is inappropriate action by our federal law enforcement. Yeah, I think that's a good analysis. Okay, let's turn focus to what's going on at the Texas border, and then subsequently what's going on in places like New York City and D.C. And you guys can came up with an idea which I, I thought was pretty smart at the time, and in retrospect looks downright brilliant. Where these huh. illegal aliens are, who uh, are coming into the country, they're essentially being invited in by our government by ending remain in Mexico and refusing to complete the wall. Um, that all of a sudden Joe Biden's taken somewhat of an interest in, which is interesting. Uh, but you guys have put some of them on buses, and you've. 
uh, shuttled them to other parts of the country. Uh, could you tell me about the origins of this idea, this concept, uh, why you guys are doing it, and what message you're trying to convey with it? Well, actually, it was pretty, I think, genius idea by Governor Abbott. Uh, I, I wasn't sure how well it would work because you're, you, we were taking volunteers, and I didn't know how many people we would get to volunteer to, to, to go to D.C. and places like New York. But it turns out there's enough of them to at least make the point and clearly to have an impact on Washington, D.C. and New York. Even though it is a small number of people, particularly relative to what we're dealing with every day, and we get more people every day than they've had to deal with total, uh, it, it points out how difficult this situation is because obviously you've heard complaints from both mayors at how much it's costing them and how they're being overrun with uh, issues like crime. And, and we're, it, it just highlights how, how bad this situation is when you have a couple of Democratic mayors complaining about a really a drop in the bucket compared to what we're dealing with. I mean, New York in particular, because it seems like the mayor there was whining even more than the mayor of D.C. And I think I looked into it. He was really complaining about, I think it was just a few hundred people. And you would think if the expectation is uh, from our uh, reporting at Breitbart, there's been five million illegal aliens who have crossed our southern border since Joe Biden became president. Um, Perhaps that number is even higher. Uh, It's the he should be able to handle 600 people, right? Well, especially when you realize that, and, and they've advertised that they're sanctuary cities. They, they've 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 put out put out the you know information that they want people to come there that are illegal, and then when they actually get them and have to deal with the problem, suddenly it's it's an overwhelming problem that they need the federal government to step in and help. But I get I get that it is an overwhelming problem. I don't get why they won. They they created a sanctuary city and then complained about it, and second, dealing with such a small number of people relative to what we deal with just every day, it's kind of shocking. So explain to me what you deal with every day, because it seems like now we are, again, we talked a little bit at the top of the segment about how there's two tiers, two systems of justice in the country. Uh, There's also two systems of illegal immigration in the country is what we're learning, which is that your illegal immigration is good if it's in Texas and it's bad if it's in Washington, D.C. and in New York. So give me sort of what the burden is like for your state versus what places where you get a lot of advocacy to get open borders, but they don't deal with it quite as much. Yeah, so we're dealing with four to five thousand people a day, and I think the the total in DC has been you know six thousand, maybe four or five hundred in New York. So that just gives you an idea the the scale that we're dealing with. And on top of all of that, it's not just that we're having all these people in our state and the cost of that, educating them, healthcare, you know, providing other other needs for them. But we have higher crime rates. We have we have to deal with a massive influx of, of drugs, particularly fentanyl, that's killing our kids. So. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that the Biden administration is basically in a partnership with the cartels. They've they've been, they've let them know you can bring them to us. You do no one has to run anymore. You can charge whatever you want to charge eight, ten, twelve thousand dollars a person. You can traffic as many people here with any background that's possible, and we'll process them to the right states and the right places that we want them, particularly Republican states. And they then we'll let the Republican states deal with all the problems that we brought to them. That's where we're at. I want to talk about some of the accusations that you guys are actually tricking the migrants or duping them into getting on the buses. Uh, what are they told? Do they sign anything? And what is the process like? Because, again, it's relatively few people who have gone. 
Yeah, it's a pretty simple process. People are asked if they want to get on a bus to Washington, D.C. or New York. They, they have to sign a consent form saying they understand what they're doing. And I think my understanding is that it's it's given to them in whatever language that, that they speak. So I don't see why they're sleeping. It's so interesting that these mayors are saying that. They're saying nothing, if you'll notice. They don't complain at all about Joe Biden inviting these people to the country. They just say once they're here, we shouldn't send them anywhere else other than Texas or wherever the federal government Right, of course. So and, and this is what, I don't mean to cut you off, but this is the point that needs to be made a thousand times, a thousand, maybe a hundred thousand. They love illegal immigration in, in Texas, but not necessarily anywhere else. And it's a point that just, you can't emphasize that enough. No, that's exactly right. And I think that's one of the great things that the governor of Texas has done, Governor Abbott, is highlight that, how how ludicrous their arguments are and how unsympathetic they are to our plight, but they become very sensitive when they, they experience just a tiny bit of the pain that we're experiencing. And yet, even when they're experiencing that pain, they criticize us. They criticize the Texas governor in Texas as opposed to the person who's actually causing it. Um, do you plan to expand this to other cities? So we know about D.C. and New York, but, uh, you know, you think of uh, places in Delaware, perhaps. Is there anywhere else uh, that perhaps could get a, a busload of people at some point? Let me uh, let me just say I would not be surprised. The governor, it's the governor's call, so uh, I don't I don't make the decision for him. But I would say I wouldn't be surprised. He's a pretty smart guy. I wouldn't be surprised if he, if he uh, decided to diversify and let other places that are uh, sanctuary cities or sanctuary states get to experience just a little touch of what Texas and Arizona have to experience every day. Uh, do you know what the cost is of all this? Is the federal government footing the bill? Are you guys footing the bill? Uh, it's the Have you broken it down how much this process is taken? Because, uh, again, it, it is being, people do call it a stunt. If it's a stunt, I have been pretty vocally supportive of it on the show. But I, I will say that people do ask these questions. Oh, you're talking about the cost of, of the, the program of, of busing? Yeah, the here. program. It's clearly costing it's clearly costing millions of dollars, but so is illegal immigration. So is the, how do you measure that we have kids dying of fentanyl overdoses? There's, there's no, no way to put a price tag on that. So every time we, we do our job spending money, either sending them away or we're preventing them from continuing through our state by arresting them for trespass or catching them with drugs, we're saving lives. So I, I don't feel bad about what we're spending because I know that it saves lives. Do, are the, what about the migrants on the bus? Do, do they have plans? Because we interviewed um, at least one of them who got off the bus in New York City seemed to be completely clueless about what to do. Uh, is there are there any officers on the bus that are there the to if for or any people who are, are versed in healthcare so that there's no um, that there's no problems during the bus ride itself? It seems very complicated. Yeah, you know, I don't actually know if they have officers on the bus. I do know that they they're just they're there's a bus driver, and I don't know I don't think there's much other than uh, a bus driver. There may be a law enforcement officer on each bus just to make sure that nothing happens. But other than that, I mean, they're taking on their bus ride, and some of them know what they're doing, some of them don't. Um, I think that's generally what happens when people cross the border. Some of them know exactly where they're going, and some some of them don't. You mentioned fentanyl. Uh, we had some reporting this week at Breitbart that the amount of fentanyl that's been seized in just July, just July by Customs and Border Protect, uh, Protection, what is enough to kill every single American and then some. Uh, pretty stunning stuff. And again, another one doesn't get a lot of establishment media attention. 
No, and that's the thing I think that makes me most upset. I think the Texas State Police have also uh, grabbed that much fentanyl, enough to kill every American in the United States. And, and to me, that's the saddest thing that I've seen from this uh, policy or change in law by the Biden administration is that we have all these kids that are dying, kids that don't even know that they're taking fentanyl. It's, you know, they're being they're lacing other other drugs with with fentanyl. And so we have an epidemic. We have an, a, a massive increase of, of drug, drug overdoses from fentanyl. And these are our kids. And the Biden administration knows exactly what they're authorizing, what they're allowing, because if they're not they don't have Border Patrol on the border. They have them doing logistics. We're going to have more. Uh, we're going to have increased drug trafficking. And, and the Biden administration knows it. And they're willing to trade these American lives, these kids for more illegal immigration. That's clear. So the Texas Department of Public Safety and the Texas Army National Guard are uh, blocking a migrants on a riverbank um, for them to get across. Uh, what's going on here? This seems kind of like a shift in tactics. Is this in coordination with the state government? Um, do you do anything about it? Yeah, this is definitely a... a, a our governor is trying to do the best he can, and we can't stop people from turning themselves in. Because if you'll remember in the past, sure. um, illegals were trying to run from Border Patrol, and now they're running to them. And the cartels right. are directed to, to bring them. So we have a, you know, obviously, we can't do anything about that. We'd have to have armed conflict with our own federal government if we were going to stop that. So what we deal with is people that don't, are unwilling to turn themselves into Border Patrol for some reason. Maybe they're terrorists. Maybe they have other criminal backgrounds. Who knows? But those people, if they're crossing private property, they can be arrested for trespass. And now they've got to go through our, some of our process. And we, we turn them over to the federal government. But now they've got, they've got, a, they've got a state state problem, which makes it um, harder for the federal government to keep them. Uh, two other ones that are non-immigration related. The first one is that we had a store, our most popular story over the weekend in Breitbart was schools across Texas now hanging sign saying in god we trust after a new state law was approved to display that uh, this was just absolutely our audience went absolutely wild for this uh, could you tell us a little bit about this yeah i mean it's it's, it's clearly uh something that we've we've defended in texas before even before this law was passed i know that there there are sheriff's departments that had put it on their vehicles and they were they had been threatened this was years ago when i first became ag threatened uh, to be sued by these liberal organizations, non-religious organizations outside of our state, and we we offer to defend them. And the reality is, you know, we have a First Amendment right to exercise uh, whatever religious views we 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 believe in. And and putting in God we trust clearly it's on our coins. Uh, it's in all kinds of places in in our public life, and there's nothing wrong with with doing it. And if we have the ability in Texas to defend it, we will. Uh, last one is you put out a opinion to promote election integrity and transparency. What's the gist of it? So the gist of it is that individuals or elected officials have the ability to look at uh, the ballot process. Now we we still have to, the Secretary of State still has to keep secret who who voted for whom. Uh, but the reality is, uh, it, we, we want an open process, a transparent process, and in the past. Some of the people that have been asking questions about elections have not had access to how of the, the the election records, and we want people to have access so that our elections are free from fraud, and that people have the ability to understand whether our elections have been free from fraud. Very good, Attorney General Ken Paxton. I appreciate all that. 
uh, all the time. TexasAttorneyGeneral.gov. Where else can people go to keep up with what you're doing or support your campaign? Uh, KenPaxton.com or at KenPaxtonTX for um, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks again, and I hope you come back soon. Hey, thanks a lot. Have a great day. That's today's broadcast. Thanks a lot to producers Zach and Greg Eben. Robert Marlowe helps me pick topics. And of course, all of you telling 10,000 friends and family members about the show, leaving a five-star review, sharing your favorite episodes, all support us quite a bit. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Mm-hmm.